staff and just praying that 2019 would be an incredible year for you uh, as you grow in who God is forming you to be, that you'll see him in new ways and that he would be glorified through us uh, in our church, in our communities, in our workplaces, wherever we may be. Uh, as you heard, we're kicking things off uh, in some really, really great ways in 2019. And I want to encourage you, the busyness of Christmas is now done, and now you can start making some decisions. And I want to encourage you to jump into a life group. I want you to, to take that step as you enter a new year and create some relationships that will help you through this next year that's coming up. And then also to jump in on Explore God. Uh, you might have some friends that you need to invite uh, over the next several weeks to hear what we are going to be looking at and, um, and answering some of those questions. So jump in. It's a great time to get started. Well, in 39 hours... We will be entering a new year, 39 hours, and you might have been thinking about this next year, and maybe it's you've been thinking about what you want 2019 to be. I don't know about you, but do we have any resolution people in the house? Any? Boy, we are a group that doesn't set goals, okay? So... Uh, for some of us, we are going to be setting some goals or some resolutions and we're going to be making those and preparing for that while the rest of us, a majority of us, are going to be arguing against those goals and not wanting to set those because they don't make us feel good at all. But what's true in all of us no matter what season of life that we are in, when we uh, enter this new year, we desire for our life to be full. We all want that. We all want our life to be full and to, to have incredible experiences in our life. And if we truly defined what a full life would be, we would start looking at it and realize that it's not a bunch of items in our life. It's not a, a big bank account or a, an incredible house or whatever it might be. But what we find is that a full life ends up leading to a very peaceful life. It's a life where we find true peace in each and every day. Peace. Peace is a, a common theme in the Advent season. And yet for some of us, we enter today and we come in here and we are struggling with experiencing peace. For some of us, we are entering this place and we have more fear about our job than we do about peace. For some of us, we enter and we have more fear about what is happening in our family than we do peace. For some of us, we, we have incredible fear of, of a relationship status than peace, or we have incredible fear about what's going on in our uh, economic situation than peace. And what's true is that the evil one continually wants to put uh, a seed of fear in our lives so that that dominates the thought that we can have true peace. 
And so what we need to look at this morning is where are you? See, we come and we have all these fears and then we enter and for a season we start talking about the Prince of Peace. And for some of us, we're entering this room and we're going, I just don't get that. I don't get Prince of Peace because I am not feeling that peace right now. Or we might be asking, what does that truly mean? So we need to start looking at this and saying, how do we experience the peace that God promises in his word? What is it that we need to have um, and, and sense in our life and think through? See, in a painful world, we all desire peace. We all do. And this is why we love Christmas so much. It's why we love Christmas, because Christmas is the ushering in of peace. And so this morning, we're going to take one last look at a Christmas text. But it's probably a text that you don't tend to go to much, because it doesn't really feel Christmassy. It's, it feels a little different. There's a, a writer of, of a Christmas hymn named D.T. Niles. And he wrote this in, in this hymn. He writes, Christmas shines with Easter glory. Glory for eternity. And so this morning, I want to encourage you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Luke and to Luke 2. Now, before we read our text, I want to point out a little bit of context for you of what is happening here in this chapter. In Luke 2.25, we find a man named Simeon. Simeon was this righteous man who, who God ends up making a promise to, and it's a very bold promise. See, Simeon has been looking for what the text says is the consolation of Israel, what that really means is that he was looking for the Messiah. He was waiting for the Messiah. And so he was waiting for this peace to come. The peace that the prophets of old had talked about. The prophets that continually talk about this in the Old Testament. He's waiting for this peace that the, the Messiah would bring. And so God promises him something. He ends up making this bold promise that he, Simeon, would see the Messiah before he died. Now imagine being given that promise. Simeon was probably more excited than a child on Christmas morning. He was, he was uh, beside himself. And then what we find in verses 26 and 27, we see that the Holy Spirit is on Simeon and moves him to enter the temple courts and moves him directly to an eight-day-old baby named Jesus. Now think for a second. You've been promised to see the Messiah before you die. And instead of seeing this mighty warrior or an adult that, that looks like a king, he finds an infant. An infant. And Simeon takes that infant Babe, that baby into his arms, and we come to our text this morning. So I want to invite you, would you stand with me as we read God's word and see what is said here? In verse 28, it says, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, 
as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Amen? Have a seat. So if you don't see this already in this text, what we just read is a Christmas text with a direct line to Good Friday and Easter. It's a direct line there. But in this text, what we find is a piece of truth that we desperately need as we enter this new year and as we think about our life with Christ. See, the truth is, is that to fully experience the peace of Jesus, we have to embrace the suffering of Jesus. See, to fully experience the peace of Jesus, we have to, experience, to embrace the suffering of Jesus. See, this seems, this is a great Christmas text, but it seems a little off compared to everything that we've seen prior to it. See, I would imagine that for many of us, we are experiencing different seasons in our life. And at some point, whether it's now in this moment or at some point down the line, you are going to need the peace of Christ. But for some of us, we're entering and we're feeling like God has been silent. We're wondering, where has God been See, what was taking place whenever we look at this, when we think God might be silent, I want you to know it's not necessarily what Simeon was experiencing. See, for 400 years, God had been silent, had not been speaking to his people, and all of a sudden, God breaks his silence by sending Jesus but in this moment, what we find is that Simeon, who has experienced this, these 400 years, knows about them. He ends up giving thanks that the Messiah had come and that the silence was broken. He still had that expectation. He lived with that expectation. And what we see is that in the breaking of this silence, God ends up doing three things. We can see him here right at the beginning in this blessing, in this praise that Simeon gives. And in verse 29, what we see is that God fulfills. God fulfills the promises he makes. See, Simeon reveals that the God of promise, the God of the Old Testament, still fulfills his promises even after 400 years of silence. He still invades the space to fulfill everything that he has said he's going to do. And so Simeon is holding in his arms the fulfillment from the creator of everything. He's realizing that God has, has met all the promises. 
See, when you're seeking peace and wondering where God is, let me encourage you to take hope. I know that life for some of us is extremely rough and it's hard and we're wondering and we're questioning, but take hope because God works and he fulfills And so the baby that came, Jesus that came, fulfills the promises that he makes. And he's still doing that today. And he wants to do it in your life. And so God ends up fulfilling. And then Simeon points out that God sends. When you look at verse 30, we see that in a world of pain and hurt, we can look at this Christmas prayer, this this prayer that Simeon prays and be reminded that God did not leave us to fend for ourselves. He didn't leave us just in a, in a painful world to do whatever we need to do just to survive. See, Simeon is holding in his arms hope that came directly from heaven. I mean, he's holding this baby, and it's a direct hope from heaven. See, God is ascending God who sees you. He's a, he's a sending God who sees you. And so you might be in the midst of an incredibly dry season right now. A season of uncertainty. But in this, God sends. Just like he sent his son to this earth for you, he continues to send blessings for you to make it through the pain. To walk with you through the pain. And so God sends. And Simeon is praising God for that. And I got to tell you that for some of us, that is the focus you have to have right now. As you enter this this new year, you have to focus that God is sending and he's going to send what you need. And then what what Simeon does is he, he shows that God revealed. We see this in verses 31 and 32. Simeon makes a declaration, this declaration that reveals that God has a plan. God has a plan, and he's got a mission for this baby that he has sent, this mission that is is for everyone, for Israel, and for the entire world. He says this is what his mission is. It's a declaration of what Jesus is going to do. I don't know if any of you are moviegoers, but I took my kids to see the new movie Aquaman. So we went and saw this, and I'm not going to be like Pastor Hannibal and ruin the movie for you, okay? But there is a scene in the movie where Queen Mira is talking to her son. And there's this question of whether or not he can be a king. And she ends up saying to him, a king fights for his nation, but a hero fights for for everyone. When I heard that, I I was reminded of what God did when he sent Jesus. See, Jesus is the king and the hero. He came and, and was sent here to reveal a mission that he was for Israel and he was for all humanity. And so when we see this, the Prince of Peace is in Simeon's arms and has come for all people and was sent to the poorest couple. And they're there and they're, they're 
looking at all this, and they're, they're just amazed. Now, I want you to notice something else that happens with Simeon. See, Simeon ends up saying this, dismiss your servant in peace. There's that word again, peace. See, there's a, a Latin phrase that's translated uh, to mean dismissed in peace, or it might be called the dismissal of peace. And so Simeon at this time, what he is doing is he's saying, I can be done because I have experienced peace because I have seen the person of peace. He's holding the person of peace. And when you experience Jesus, when you truly experience Jesus, peace comes. And so I want to ask you this morning, have you experienced the peace of Christ? For some of us, we haven't. We're still struggling with this thought that Jesus is a, a Savior. And for others of us, we've made a decision and we, we, we say he is our Savior, but we are forgetting that he is the Prince of Peace, wanting to bring peace into our life. And we're looking for all these temporary things in this world that we think are going to give us peace. But in all reality, Jesus came to give you that experience. And Simeon is seeing it. See, to fully experience the peace of Jesus, we have to embrace the suffering of Jesus. And the reason for this is because of what Simeon says next. See, his beautiful prayer that is part of the Christmas story ends up transitioning into another phrase that, uh, or thing, statements that he makes that we tend to forget at Christmas time. And so he uh, initially directs this to Mary, but it's something that we all have to look at. Look at what he says. The child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the, the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. See, if you look closely, what Simeon is doing was he's telling Mary that the baby that she bore, the baby in, in, that he's holding in his arms, the Prince of Peace, was going to have to suffer. And we can't miss that. He was going to have to suffer. So you've possibly come here on a Sunday, and you've seen what we do in our child dedication services. You've probably seen this with a group of families that are, are dressed really nice and they bring their kids up on stage and Pastor Rob is here and he's, he ends up going and he talks to each one and as he makes eye contact with the toddler, the to toddler starts to cry, right? And so we have this moment where this crying is happening, this dedication is taking place, and what we do is as a church, we dedicate ourselves and the parents dedicate themselves to raise that child in the way of the Lord. That we, we make a commitment to raise these kids up knowing who Jesus Christ is. Now, think about it for a second. If we were doing this this morning, so families come up, and, and I'm talking to them, and I, I hold this, this boy in my arms. And after 
talking about how great it is is that, that they've had this son, I end up looking into the mother's eyes and I say, but you need to know that your son is going to be hated. That he is going to be tortured. And that he is going to, to have severe suffering. I would expect you to boo me off the stage. I would expect that, that somebody would come and pull me off thinking, what are you doing? Why are you saying this? But this is exactly what is happening here in this text. Simeon is holding the, the baby, the savior of the world, up, praising God and then looking into his mother's eyes. Now what's amazing in all this is that Joseph and Mary are there and as, when they hear the first prayer, they are marveling at everything that was said about Jesus. But here's the deal. For some of us, we're in the same place. That we marvel at Jesus when we read about him, just like Mary and Joseph were. But what we have to understand in our life is that we have to move from marveling to awe. We can't just marvel because that's just being surprised with all the things that are happening there. But we have to be in awe because awe is a place of worship and an understanding of the purpose and the mission of Jesus Christ. And so we have to, to move into this new, this new realm. And when we look at this, the action that we should be in awe of is the action that Jesus took voluntarily to suffer for us. Think about it today. That Jesus actually came to suffer for you. So how did Jesus suffer well, we end up seeing that Simeon prophesies the way that Jesus would suffer. And so the first way that we find that Jesus is going to suffer is that he would face suffering, the suffering of division. He's going to face the suffering of, of division. See, Jesus brought joy to the world. We sing about it. But when we like that thought, we love that, that experience, that, and we should. But what we have to understand is when we see this prophecy, a Christmas prophecy, it shows that the joy that he brought meant that he would also be the joy who would divide. He was going to be the one that would divide. And in many ways, Jesus is a spiritual divider of people. Throughout his life, we see this, and it's because of the mission he was given by God. And he has to be that spiritual divider because that is the way that you and I can have a relationship with God the Father. And so Jesus was going to suffer the division of those he loved. See, what we have to understand and this is hard to, to understand, but Jesus isn't just a blessing. Jesus isn't just a blessing, but he is also either a stumbling block or a foundation. He's either a stumbling block or a foundation, and it's because his life demands a call of allegiance. His, his life demands that, and it demands it from you and me. 
And so because there's this demand of allegiance, it says that Simeon says that he is going to be the one to cause the falling and rising of people. The life and work of Jesus creates conflict within each of us. It's a strange thing to to think about, but Jesus creates conflict within each of us at some point. Think about it for a second. In Mark 10, we end up seeing this man run up to Jesus. And and in Mark 10, this man says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looks at him and says, go and sell everything and give what you have to the poor. And then come follow me. And what we find in the text is the man ends up, his face falls And he walks away because he was rich. See, Jesus was a stumbling block. Because this man Jesus confronted, this man that Jesus talked to, ends up confronting the true treasure of his heart. That his God was his riches instead of the one that was standing in front of him. And so this created a conflict, and we are never told if this man came to know who Jesus Christ was as the Messiah. All we know is that Jesus was a stumbling block. But then in Luke 19, we find another story, and it's the story of this short tax collector named Zacchaeus. So he he wanted to see Jesus, and so he's up in a tree, and Jesus looks at him and says, Come down, I'm going to come to your house today. Zacchaeus was a crook and a cheat to his own people. He is somebody that most of us in this room would probably avoid and not want to have a relationship with. And Jesus goes to the most unlikely of homes. And as he is there, Zacchaeus is confronted with the Prince of Peace sitting in front of him. And instead of seeing Jesus as a stumbling block, he ends up seeing Jesus as the foundation for hope and rescue in his life. And we end up seeing that Jesus ends up stating that salvation has come to this house today. And at the the last verse in that section, Jesus ends up saying, for I have come to seek and save the lost. See, one man knew he was lost and chose a different direction. The other man knew he was lost and needed to be rescued. See, Jesus would suffer division from those he loved. And so when Simeon writes this, we have to understand that some are going to fall and some are going to rise. And the the truth is, is that that's the same for us today. For some of us in here, we're going to fall, and for others of us, we're going to rise, but it depends on how we're viewing the Prince of Peace. Is he a stumbling block for us, or is he the foundation for hope and rescue? Are you continually stumbling over him, tripping over him, because really the treasure of your heart is something else besides him? And if that's the case, would you stop stumbling? Because I believe he is calling for you today. So that you may find peace. And for others of you, he is the foundation for hope and rescue. And if he is, may your life today 
tomorrow and for the next year and years be about living a life of worship because he is your foundation. So Jesus would suffer division, but he would also face the suffering of denial. I got to tell you, I love my mom. She has had one of the biggest impacts on my life, but I have not always been the best of sons. Now, I'm, I will tell you this, I'm better than my brother, okay? <laughs> but the two of us have not always been the best of sons. When I was in college, uh, my family was going to take a vacation, and we were heading to Colorado. And I can't remember, but for some reason, we decided that we were going to take a train from downtown Chicago out to O'Hare Airport. And so we had our luggage, and we got on the train... And as soon as we got on the train, my brother and I sat down. Now, when, when we sat down, we found the two seats and we did this and my mom and dad were going to stand. Now, that's the first sign that I'm not a good son. I didn't offer that seat to my mom, but, but uh, my brother should have. But, but I ended up sitting there. And you know how those trains work, that whenever they start off, there's like a big lurch that happens, and, and so they move forward, and what ended up happening was like everything went into slow motion. In slow motion, I watched my mom, who hadn't grabbed hold of a bar, and is the most proper and dignified woman you can find, start to stumble and trip over the luggage that we had. And the next thing I knew that was my mom, who loves my dad dearly, landed on the lap of another man. And as she lands on that lap and this man is startled, you would think that her sons would do something. But we didn't. What we actually did is we, we saw this and we quickly looked the other direction like we had no clue who this crazy woman was that was falling into the lap of total strangers. And we denied any relationship through our actions. My mom was alone at that point. And denial is a horrible thing. Now, when we look at that, we can laugh about it today, but denial is a very lonely place. It's a very uncomfortable place. And it's a place of suffering. See, Jesus came to seek and save those he created and loved. Yet in Matthew 12, Jesus is performing miracles. And the religious leaders who have struggled with Jesus and who he is are present and they end up accusing him of doing all these miracles in the power of Satan. They end up saying he's getting his power from Beelzebul, the, the prince of demons. This is where this happens. And as he's performing these miracles that are declarations of who he is as the son of God, those he came for denied him. They denied that he had any connection to God the Father. 
And so Jesus was suffering denial. On top of that, in Luke 22, we end up finding that Jesus has been arrested and he's going to soon go to the cross. And Peter, someone who had walked with him daily, who, who has stated that he would do anything for Jesus, he, he was this bold disciple, is questioned three different times by asking, aren't you one of his disciples? And three different times he denies any connection to the Prince of Peace. See, Jesus would suffer denial at the hands of those who hated him and at the hands of those who loved him. Denial is a very lonely place to be. And so let me ask you, where are you today? Are you believing that Jesus is who he says he is and living with confidence in every season of life? Or are you trying to pick up the pieces and trying to work your way through the troubles so hard? Because if you are without, without seeing Jesus for who he is, you are denying him. See, we, we need to look at the suffering of denial and understand that Jesus went through that for us. And so Jesus suffered division. He suffered denial. And then lastly, Simeon tells us that Jesus will face the suffering of death. Simeon tells Mary, a sword will pierce your own soul too. See, this is Simeon letting her know that her son, the Prince of Peace, the Son of God, would die and she would be present. For you moms, I would imagine that would break your heart. See, she was marveling at all the things that were, that were said about her son and now this is what she hears. See, those Jesus came for were the ones that crucified him. In John 19, we see this direct line from this prophecy to that text, from Christmas to Easter, and we end up seeing that, that as um, the fulfillment of this prophecy, as Jesus is crucified, his mother is standing by the cross. The one who Simeon praised God for sending was now fulfilling the mission he was sent for. See, Jesus suffered because it was part of God's mission. It was part of his mission for you. So he suffered division and denial and death, and it's why we have to remember that to fully experience the peace of Jesus, we have to embrace the suffering of Jesus. So what does Christ's suffering have to do with bringing us peace? Well, see, Simeon's prophecy at the beginning of, of Luke ends up leading us to the beauty of the gospel. It, it's the beauty of the gospel. And it's that peace comes when we see that the baby in Simeon's arms suffered the wrath of God that we deserve. And he suffered but to usher in the beauty of grace, the grace that can fill your life. 
And so Jesus does this, this suffering to usher that in. And so he ends up taking on the wrath. But he also suffered and he fulfilled the righteous demands that the law had made. So that you don't have to go through life thinking that you have to impress God or that you have to do all this work to get to God. Jesus is saying, I am the way I suffer for you. And so he brings the free gift of grace and the realization that the only way to have this relationship with God is through him. See, his grace and faith in him brings the, the eternal peace that we all desire, that we crave. But here's the other thing that it does. Simeon talks about it in this prophecy. The suffering of Jesus will also expose your heart. It's going to expose your heart. See, all this suffering is, that is done is to expose who you are and where your allegiance is at. It, it, it cuts deep into where is your identity found? Who has the throne of your heart? And so when Jesus suffers, he ends up doing this so that he exposes our heart and we can see what the path to true peace is all about. And it's about the person of peace. See, here's the deal. For many of us, we are facing circumstances, or in 2019, we are going to face circumstances that are hard. And eternal peace is going to be needed. And what I'm going to tell you is that how often we, in our, our fallen human mind, we are going to focus on that eternal, or on those circumstances, and we are going to forget the eternal peace that Jesus brings. But we have to go back and understand that the suffering of Jesus allows us to experience the, the peace Jesus gives. And so in order to do that, we have to be continually reminding ourselves and reminding one another of the gospel. That's why one of our values here at Wheaton Bible Church is that the gospel isn't just the starting line, it's the whole race. Because we have to be reminded of it over and over and over again. This is why whenever you come, you might be going, well, I heard about life groups before. But it's because we want you to be in community with people that are going to remind you what the gospel can do and how the gospel plays a role in every season of your life. I was on the phone with somebody who, who just lost a loved one and, and one of the things that she said to me was, I cannot imagine doing this without my life group. And it's because their, her life group is reminding her of who Jesus Christ is in the midst of suffering. And that her Savior went through that suffering to also walk through it with her. So when we look at this, can I encourage you to understand that the, the beauty of peace only comes through the suffering of Jesus, but that the suffering of Jesus happened so that he could rescue you and you could live the full peaceful, peaceful life that you're called to live. So may we be dis disciples that live in this, this truth, that we praise God, we, have, we know that joy to the world has come, but that suffering also had to come so that we would be made whole.
Let's pray. Father, as we leave 2018, I pray that you would lead us to understand that that you sent your son to suffer so that you could unite us with you. So may we find peace and rest in that. And may we live lives that worship you boldly and proclaim your glory wherever we go. It's in your name I pray. Amen.